while everyone else was just like locked inside binge watching old friends episodes, you guys were having like the most productive 14 days of your existence. Hey everyone, today I'm super excited to be sitting down with FarmLink founders James and Aiden as they tell us about their journey from college students to Congressional Medal of Honor winners. FarmLink has delivered over 35 million pounds of agricultural food to over 270 food banks across the nation since their inception. They have since expanded to Mexico and have been one of the first steady food donation groups for indigenous communities such as Navajo Nation. Before we dive in with these amazing individuals, a quick reminder, as always, any and all opinions and views shared by hosts and guests on this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the view of Primal Kitchen or its affiliates or parent company. Hi, guys. Hey, Morgan. How's it going? Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, FarmLink, give me the background. What is it? How did it get started? How do you guys know each other? Fill me in. Aiden, go for it. All right, excuse my Slack message. Uh, Okay, FarmLink started. FarmLink is a student-run volunteer nonprofit with the goal of working with farms who have surplus produce and getting that to food banks around the country instead. Um, We started just about 15 months ago, uh, last April, when we were reading articles about farmers having to dump mountains of produce due to supply chain breakdowns because of the pandemic. Uh, And, you know, food banks right down the street who had lines around the block and were running out of food. Um, We started in the beginning, you know, just cold calling farms in and around Los Angeles, where we're from. We met uh, in middle school and have been friends since. And, you know, we didn't know anything about logistics or farming or trucking or any of that. So we just cold called the farmers and said, hey, do you guys have surplus food? And if they said yes, we would rent uh, U-Hauls and drive to the farms ourselves and make drop-offs at a food bank that we grew up volunteering at. Very cool. Where in LA did you guys grow up? Santa Monica. Yeah. Okay, cool. And did you guys go to college together too? Just actually like middle school. So we've remained good friends, but um, really like that sixth to eighth grade, kind of that awkward teen phase. (laughs) Yeah. The middle school bond runs deep. I like it. That's impressive. (laughs) Um, Okay. So back up here. So you have no company at this point, no nonprofit. You're just like paying out of your own pocket to rent U-Hauls and fix this broken supply chain essentially. Is that right? That's how it started. I mean, like at the beginning of the pandemic, we're sent home from university. Uh, and as it felt like sort of the world was was crumbling around you, you're told to like, you need to stay in your house and, you know, watch from your cell phone as all of these things are breaking down. And when our local food bank um, basically put out a message saying if they couldn't raise more money or get more access to produce, they could they could have to close their doors. We felt like we needed to do something. Awesome. And then how long did it take? Like, how are you guys paying for this? I mean, this is not like cheap. Yeah. So it Sorry. was like initially, like literally friends, family, people okay. would give, Hey, Oh, that's great that you're doing that. Here's hundred dollars here, hundred dollars there. Um, but ultimately what kind of took it off from just Aiden and I driving trucks to more of like a national movement was, um, it got picked up um, by news organizations and ultimately the New York times of the story. And all of a sudden, Americans from all across the country were flooding in saying, hey, I have a truck. How can I help? Here, I have some money. Can I donate my time? Hey, I have a stimulus check that I don't need. Can I give it to you guys so you guys can help more people? Um, And so that was really just like a grassroots kickoff on how this started. And how fast was it from when you guys like delivered your first truck to when the New York Times picked up the story? 
10 days, maybe I, a little, a bit, a bit too fast. Um, suddenly once all these, we started getting all these emails and people from around the country, it was like, Oh my God, you know, we got to actually deliver here. Um, uh, it, it became very real, very quickly, but that was probably the best thing that ever happened to us. That is really fast. So you mm-hmm. guys had like no clue you wanted to run a nonprofit or were you guys kind of already kind of leaning that way? No, we always said this. When we started this, we were just trying to help our local food bank. Got it was a time of crisis and we feel like in a time of crisis, that's when you're supposed to come together. Yeah. And so if we could lend a hand, like the other things we were thinking was like get groceries for, you know, our neighbors who are older and couldn't risk going to the grocery store. So it really was started as just a small idea and it's really, really grown since then. Organically just exploded. Yeah. And are you guys still in school or what's the scoop there? I just graduated uh, in May. I went to Brown. Cool. Um, uh, with some of the other founding team, like Ben Collier and Will Collier, uh, who came in right at the beginning and helped us launch this thing. Um, and James, you are going to be what a junior at Stanford. James has taken a series of, of gap years and <laughs> yeah, it's a gap year number two. So like he's it. got some time left. Yeah. Smart, smart. It sounds like you got a lot going on though. So it, it's not too much of like the, uh, travel South America gap year that <laughs> it's a little, a little bit different. A little bit different. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, so, and were you guys on like a different path for your, did you, what were you majoring in when you, when this fell in your lap? I was majoring in political science. Um, and, and James, you symbolic systems, I guess at Stanford and, but you know, it's funny you ask because James and I had part of the reason, you know, we had stayed really close friends, but we'd also worked together, um, on documentary work, like international, uh, sociopolitical documentary work. We had gone and lived in Nicaragua uh, three summers ago to go make a documentary about students living down there and facing a crisis in their country. Um, and we had just been working on projects like that. And, it, you know, it was the, the same day that we had the idea for FarmLink was, you know, we had had a meeting about editing one of the films we were doing. And that was kind of where I thought I was headed. Um, and this has just kind of turned our, our world upside down in terms of that. Yeah. So instead of documenting these people doing these world changing things, you just got in the driver's seat. Now you're literally in the driver's seat doing these world changing things. Yeah. And, and the very first people who came in and, and joined us on the project were people that we knew through the through filmmaking or storytelling. And so, you know, we didn't know how, we didn't, definitely didn't know how to, you know, book a freight truck 3000 miles, but we did, you know, have some idea of how to tell a story. And I think that was pretty important from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And how big has it grown? Like how fast did it grow? I, I mean, it, it launched really quickly, but what's the extent of the reach now? Yeah. So today we, I think we just moved our 42nd million pounds of fresh nutritious produce from farms to food banks. We're operating in about 48 States across the country. Um, as well as now kind of in initially in Mexico and Canada. Um, and we're really, really focused on how can we not only get more fresh, healthy produce to people, but how can we deliver it in a way that treats them with the most dignity and respect? So you're not standing in line for two hours in the hot sun to wait for something, but it's more like going to a neighborhood farmer's market or something through schools. So really trying to increase that dignity associated with um, getting fresh, healthy produce. Very cool. And do you, is there like a tech component of that or how do you plan on solving that one? Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure so once there's we, there's some tech play here somewhere, I feel like. Yeah. So so once we um kind of move past the students driving trucks in this feel-good story, um, 
and we started receiving these donations, we realized that there was a lot that we could do. Every year in the U.S., 20 billion pounds of fresh, nutritious produce is left on the farm in the field. Um, at the same time, 35 million Americans are facing food insecurity. That is a solvable problem, and it's not rocket science. Um, so we've been investing pretty heavily in actually building a technology platform that can allow us to scale our operation without having to scale kind of our overhead costs. So that's now operating today, which is helping us along with some amazing students um, to move roughly a million pounds of fresh produce a week. And when you say move, like they're actually volunteering to drive produce from farms. No, 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 no. Just like coordinating the loads. Oh, okay. so we have a, a network of um, Got it. Yeah, distribution carriers who, who are filling that gap. Yeah. yeah Oh, sorry. Go oh. ahead, Aiden. What'd you say? Sorry, I, I was saying th- we're thankfully not driving the, the trucks anymore. I think that that was a good uh, for the storytelling piece, but it was not sustainable for just you know the health and safety of our fellow Americans who had to drive next to us. For sure. I mean, but logistics. This is like a huge problem now. I mean, even now, right? Fast forward eighteen months, like we see it at Primal Kitchen. Like, I mean, just that component of it alone. Like, how are you guys navigating the challenges there? Because it's it's brutal. It, it absolutely is brutal. Um, we, and this is like, I think the amazing thing about FarmLink is we are student led. And I think people really underestimate what students are capable of when they put their mind to it. So a team of students has largely built up this distribution and carrier network. Um, and they'll do all sorts of creative things from backloading um, to even like creating our own 3PL broadcasting network um, to really try to reach more carriers. Um, and they're making it work for about 25 loads a week. So crazy yeah and you're shipping all over the united states mm-hmm. and picking up from all over the united states mm-hmm. yeah it's nuts because i remember we were doing some donations through you guys but also through other people and i remember someone once told me that um if you're you know picking up food from a food bank the most coveted items are like fresh produce because there's so much like tuna canned beans canned tomato sauce and there is just like such a lack of actual nutritious like real food that hasn't been sitting in a can for two years so it's i don't know i it's just like it was really eye-opening to me i didn't ever think about that but if you're you know surviving on food from food bank it seems like it's really hard to get your hands on actual real food yeah uh someone once told us that the, the you know very real crisis in the United States is not just people not getting enough food. It's not, it's people not getting the right food. Um, so even if they can go to some institution that can send them home with a bag of stuff, if that's all like packaged, you know, like Doritos and cookies and, and, you know, canned foods, that's, you know, it's going to get them through, but it's, it's not going to be the best way like that their kids can be sent to school and learn and, and have energy throughout the day. And, you know, that is something we're trying to pay attention to. There's a lot of people in the space who have been doing great things for a long time and are moving billions of pounds of food. So our idea is not to like come in and reinvent that uh, or try to be redundant and, and think we're saving the world. It's just like, how can we help the institutions that already exist? What can we add to them? Yeah, supplement. So no, and no, is there anyone else, like any big player that's connecting farms and food donations or not really? There's some amazing, there's some amazing, amazing regional orgs um, across the country who have, have been doing this work. And a lot of what we do is finding different ways that we can support or supplement them. So like a classic example would be there may be an organization that up in Washington has a lot of apples and onions that are grown there, but has no access to um, 
fruits or vegetables or peppers that may be grown in California. And so whenever we can bridge the gap between those organizations, that's what we're often finding ourselves doing. Very cool. You guys have to have some like crazy stories about, I don't know, trucks of random food or anything like that. Like I want to hear some good ones. Oh my God. Um, Early on, early on, um, we got, we coordinated a load of potatoes to come in from Idaho. And then James and I were going down to the food bank in Southern California to go meet that truck and help them unload, which when you have like the right tools takes like 25 minutes. Okay. we didn't communicate like we didn't we were unclear in our directions. I think we bought pallets to send to them because the farmer didn't have pallets. And we were like, yeah, just throw them in like however they fit. And we, they put in the pallets the wrong way. Uh, so, so that's when the truck got there, when we opened it, like the tools couldn't get under like the pallet jacks couldn't get under them. And essentially, then we had 40,000 pounds of potatoes that were just stuck there like this immovable mass. And we spent the next like three hours like tying ropes around these boxes and then to other trucks and trying to drag them out. But then that would just spill 3000 pounds of potatoes on the ground. So then we got buckets and we're loading it in there and we just realized, Oh my God, we really need to pay attention. If we do. To this, these is a, this is a real low point, probably one of the lower points of our whole <laughs> story here. You guys are like, we're fucked. Like we're just, yeah. Here. Yeah. <laughs> we got them though. We got, we, it, the situation was figured out, but it, it was like hours of like bucket loading potatoes into buckets. Yeah. Okay. And this was day what of the journey? This is early on or? This was last week. Oh, okay. This is. No, really- I'm joking. I'm joking. This was, <laughs> this was like, this was like our, this was like our second delivery or something. Like okay. That. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those early lessons. Idaho potatoes. Yeah. Do you have any stories of the early days at Bramble Kitchen? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was just talking to Mark like actually before this and we were laughing about like we had a period of time in 2016 so we like you know you work really hard to get distribution on shelf for your product and then you got to deliver otherwise like someone is there at your ankles and they want to steal your shelf space right and so we had gotten all this distribution on our mayonnaise business and we're like a year in and we're in whole foods and like three regions and we're you know killing it and uh our manufacturer called us and said they like couldn't make our mayonnaise they were like we're we don't know what's wrong it's just not emulsifying so we'll we'll try again in a week and we're like okay um you know meanwhile we're operating accidentally just in time inventory at this point in our life because we keep upping our production runs but we keep growing about that same amount so every time we have a production run scheduled we're like oh perfect because we just ran out so we can't wait to get this next production run in so it was like that literally for i don't know a year it was great for cash flow but for you know my own like sanity and level of anxiety it was you know it was a bit touch and go but we didn't really know any better so it was fine so the next week came they tried to make the mayonnaise it failed it went down the drain they couldn't get the emulsion right then like fast forward three weeks later every time you you try to every time it would fail it wasn't like oh just try again in the afternoon the line time's booked right so you have to wait like a week or two weeks whatever so Anyway, finally they figured it out and we could make mayonnaise again, but it took four weeks. It was so stressful. The weekend, we figured out how to make mayonnaise. They had to do it on the weekend. We had to pay for overtime staff. I ended up getting engaged that weekend. I came to work on Monday and I didn't purposely answer my phone when I was driving to the Malibu Chamber of Commerce where our office was because I wanted to tell Mark in person because that's how like invested we were in this. So he's calling me like, what's the deal? Did we make mayonnaise yesterday? I'm pressing ignore, ignore, ignore. I get to the Malibu Chamber of Commerce. We were like in our makeshift kitchen in the office. And he's like, so? And I was like, we made mayonnaise and I'm fucking engaged. And then we both just started crying. Like, 
I mean, Mark would be embarrassed if I told you guys this, but we were like crying in the kitchen, like both of us, like tears just running down our face. Like, he's like, I'm so happy for you. And I'm so happy we're making mayonnaise again. Like, we're not going to have to like, you know, file for bankruptcy and shut the company down or something like that. So yeah, I mean, for sure, the early days. And look, even today, there's like so many challenges running a business right now um, that I think, yeah, we've all been there. How long after getting engaged, how many minutes did it take after getting uh, proposed to, did you start thinking about mayonnaise again? I already knew that day that we had successfully made mayonnaise. So I could like put that out of mind and enjoy the full present moment, but it was pretty all consuming for a while. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good Incredible. It all worked out. Yeah. No, we've had lots, lots of those, but I, I say like, I think those are champagne problems, right? Like, because if you could get the potatoes to wherever you were in LA, like at least you solved the, the hard part of the challenge. And so for you guys, what's like the vision then for, farm link where do you want to go with this thing yeah i'm we we kind of want to go back to i think like really the center of how we started this which is around a problem um and i think like i said earlier 20 billion pounds a year of fresh nutritious produce just here in the united states is going to waste at the farm level um that produce has the potential to increase access in food deserts um communities that wouldn't otherwise have access to this fresh produce. Uh, and we feel like we can create this link. And so farmland, that's why we're focused um, as much as we can on getting as much healthy produce as possible to these families in need. Yeah. So just keep growing. And you got, how'd you guys get into Mexico then? Where was the link there? Well, our, um, our mindset is that, you know, the United States is absolutely not the only, the only country in the world that grows a ton of food and has simultaneously has food insecurity in the very crops that they're growing. Um, like we know this, this could be a repeatable model internationally. That's our, that's our, that's our belief. And the kind of philosophy behind is if we're going to do that, and if we want to move farm link into another country, we have to, uh, we have to find a team of people who are actually there. Like, like James and I, and our other, other leads are not, I'm not going to be able to sit in California or Connecticut or wherever and guess what is needed in Mexico. So, you know, for Mexico, it came through a, a student on the team who has family there and his cousin, I think, reached out to him and was like, I love what you guys are doing. I would love, and I, I know I could get that going over here. So we kind of just empowered them to do that. And we're like, you can use our name. We can give you, we, we have all the learnings so you don't have to make these same mistakes with, you know, pallets loaded in the wrong way or whatever. And if you need money, we can help you fundraise and stuff like that. Um, but otherwise, it's like we want these kind of independent appendages to FarmLink who are very, very much have like their ears to the to the ground where they are. And that's the same way with how it is in Canada. So we don't enact a ton of control. The mission is exactly the same, um, but we want them to be able to decide what's best. Love it. Love it. And then you guys started, you're a company born from the pandemic. Fair enough to say, like, otherwise, maybe this opportunity wouldn't have fallen in your lap. Yeah. And how has it been, like, how has that evolved over the last 18 months? Like, how has COVID played out for the mission? And are you guys seeing, like, you know, an increase in demand now? Do the demand increases as these variants surge? Like, give me the experience there. I think there's several prongs to it. Um, like, one on, like, just the operational side in terms of 
the availability of food, the, 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 the particulars of logistics, things like that, which I think James is super in tune with. Um, but both of us also pay attention to this other aspect, which is just people around the United States and how they're paying attention to issues. Like uh, it's kind of a unique challenge because, um, you know, the U S wasting, you know, a third of the food we grow is not something that happened during the pandemic. Uh, it, it's been happening. And same, same with these, these longstanding issues with the, the charitable food system and, and people not getting enough. Um, the, these existed for a really very, very long time. Uh, it was just during the pandemic that it got attention because it was happening in a very accentuated way. Um, and it was getting covered by New York times, for example, Washington post where people started to pay attention to like their own wasteful habits. Um, and so one of our, one of our challenges now is like, okay, um, we understand that this is something that exists and that people can more or less ignore because it's happening in the background. So how do we tie it back into ways that's relevant for each people's life? Like, for example, it plays a huge role in, in, you know, the degradation of the climate of climate. Um, if food waste were a country, it would be, you know, the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases behind us and China. And I think, yeah, we would take, we take responsibility for kind of like letting people know that, you know, even if you, you don't know what it means for 20 billion pounds of food to go, go, to go to waste, you, you know, you might feel motivated to make some personal changes because, this plays a huge role in global warming, for example. Yeah, uh, so, me- so messaging is like that is that is one of those challenges. But in terms of how like the landscape change, I mean, I'm yield to James. Really quick before we do that. So like compared to, cause this is a big debate, right? In the paleo community, like eating meat and is it bad for the environment or not? How does food waste compare to like the consumption of animal products? For instance, curious if you guys have looked at that. If you don't know, it's okay. I just... I, feel, I, I don't want to. I don't want to get called out by your your audience here, who may be more knowledgeable. I think uh, both of those things play a huge role in contributing to climate change. Um, I think agriculture is accounting for like twenty five percent of global emissions, um, with food waste right around eight percent, though it's not measured very well. Um, and then I think animal products um, comparable, if not more. Interesting. Yeah, but that just gives like a for me just like a big picture sense of like how huge the problem is. On the environmental front, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it, when we throw out these numbers, it is it is so. It, it, it that's another challenge. It's like you know we say twenty billion pounds of food from the farm and thirty six million families. It's like you know at a certain point the human brain is just not really able to comprehend a number past like a thousand or whatever. You know, it, it forty thousand pounds sounds almost the same as you know a million pounds. Um, so I guess what we're trying to just show is like the experience that that we've had of, you know. You can go to a warehouse now in like East LA. It was there like a week, week and a half ago, and I saw you know it was basically the size of like a a, a football field full of peaches and tomatoes, like heirloom tomatoes and like kale and really really good stuff. It looked like it looked like a like a Whole Foods produce produce section, and all of it was going to waste. Uh, the tomatoes were going to waste because they were too red. Um, the yeah, the kale was going to waste because they, it was it was a it had like a, a 10 day shelf life rather than like the needed 11th there or whatever it was. Um, and, and that's when it, you know, that's not a billion pounds of food in there. That was maybe a couple hundred thousand pounds, but then you can contextualize it. And like anybody in the world, um, if they saw that would be like completely shocked and maybe motivated to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Imperfect produce does a lot. They do a lot of that in a different model though, not necessarily trying to link. I mean, this is a paid model, but 
yeah, similar. Tech, mm-hmm. similar. Yeah. We're, we're going to need, you know, it's not just farming. We're going to need hundreds of sure. companies. We're going to need government action. There's so many different things that's needed to really address this. Um, with, like, there, our future of, like, fighting climate change, of having a carbon-neutral economy, like, we can't do that without addressing food waste. Um, and so we're hoping we can get as much help as we can get from all these different stakeholders. Yeah. And then what do you hear on just like the health aspect of it from like, are the food banks like super excited to be getting fresh produce or like what percent do you think of the products that's in the food bank are actually like fresh? So this differs all around the country and all around um, different communities, areas that are more rich with produce, say like the Salinas Valley, um, even kind of Southern California areas may have a greater share of produce. And then some areas in the Midwest, um, where it's mostly just commodity crops that are being grown, may really not have access to, or may not even have like the infrastructure, so cold storage in order to be able to take on. So those are some of the challenges that we're kind of facing. Yeah. Um, I think like the, the, the thing to think about here is like food insecurity in the US, it's not yet, it's not just about not having enough calories. It's a not about not having enough of the right calories. Um, and if we can increase access to fresh produce, we can address some of those problems um, that are coming from actually having too many calories of the wrong type. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So back to the COVID question. So like, what have you seen in trends since you've been along this journey these last 18 months? Anything? I was going to say, it's probably a lot similar to what, what you all have been seeing. Obviously, freight right now is like insane. Um, just trying to lock that down. Um, with the shipping container shortage, there, there's just, there's like when the ver- vaccine started to roll out, like the access to refrigerated trucks had dropped so much. So there's just, there's so many different things. Obviously, food insecurity um, nearly doubled in the United States amid COVID. Um, and the stimulus checks helped kind of alleviate some of that. Um, but also not everyone you know, was able to receive stimulus checks who were food insecure. Um, so that's kind of continuing. And I, I think the thing to remember, and that I hope that coming out of the pandemic is we don't forget is food insecurity has been existing in the United States long before the pandemic. It's going to exist long after. And it's been this problem that's been in the shadows that we don't really talk about. We don't really address. Um, and I just hope that that change in some of these images of these mile long lines at food banks are kind of etched into people's memories. And we finally, we actually take action on this. Yeah, for sure. So that brings me to the question, like fundraising, how has that gone for you guys? Like, where are you getting your fundraising from? How much of your time are you spending on that? We, uh, so our first, our first, you know, I think million dollars came from, uh, basically all these all natural donations, meaning people around the country who were like, I want to give you 20 bucks, a hundred bucks. We saw anything from people sending us monthly donations of like, you know, recurring from of $10 uh, to, you know, like kids who may had like a farm stand and were selling flowers. And then they mailed us like a bunch of thousand dollars in cash. So that was, you know, the first couple months entirely natural donations and then what, we started, just like hmm. throw a website up and overnight yeah. or what do you guys do yeah yeah we threw a website up overnight um we couldn't accept you know we needed to get like people or something what do you guys 
we used, we, used, we, we put up we put up Wix, and then in order to actually get donations, we needed to be a, a registered five hundred one c three, and that takes a long time. Okay. So what so what we did is James called around um, to different organizations, nonprofits in Southern California, asking if any of them could sponsor us. And uh, this org- this food bank called Food Finders, which has been around for decades, they actually trusted us. They were like, "You guys are students, and you want to do what?" But they said, okay, sure, yeah, we'll sponsor you. And we became um, kind of like this, you know, financially this subsidiary of food finders. And, you know, that's why we were able to launch and collect donations. Oh, very so quickly. cool. Without, yeah. Within the first two weeks. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. While everyone else was just like locked inside, binge watching old friends episodes, you guys were having like the most productive 14 days of your existence, it seems like. <laughs> It then took us. Sorry, to say it was such a weird time, just because we also still had like online school and stuff. So it would be like you're on mute on Zoom, like on hold with a farmer while you're like slacking Aiden, and (laughs) it's just definitely is is a difficult, is interesting time. Yeah. Do you think? I I just think I'm kind of like baiting the question here, but I'm just curious how you guys think this experience of launching something, you know, and congruently with COVID like played into your experience of COVID. This, this is something we, we've talked about actually with kind of our whole team. Um, so for our team right now, we're about a hundred students from all across the country. Um, and when people came on, right, you were removed from your communities. You weren't able to see oftentimes your family, your friends or anything. And so this sort of became this like online community, um, and that has like been inextricably tied to, I think, our experience with COVID, where hundreds of students who've never met each other um, are kind of going through this thing together. And you're watching the news and you're navigating this thing and your community is kind of this group of people that are helping. Um, I think that's something I always now think about. Um, it's like people joined FarmLink for the mission, but, you know, we have people who 15 months later are still volunteering for the team. They're staying for the community and for the people that are around them. And I think one takeaway is that you can create that virtually, yeah. um, which is amazing. Yeah. What do you think, Aiden? I don't. Oh yeah, yeah, Aiden. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah. At the end of the day, even if you believe in a mission, you know, to to stay on hold with a freight company from eleven p.m. to three a.m., like there's got to be something a little bit, a little bit deeper there that connects with you, and that that has been that that has been. Uh, that has been the people I, I would say, you know, we have what students from 13 different countries, um, over 500 who have come through, passed through. And I think if anything, whether they stayed for, you know, six months or if they stayed for, um, you know, if they've been here since the beginning, that they leave with some kind of new sense of agency of like what they can do. And that's been, and, and I'm only saying that because that's the way I feel about it myself as well is, uh, you know, we didn't really, we don't really want to ask people for like their, you know, some big resume or like job experience. And you don't need to have this, this, this big history in in freight or logistics or anything. Uh, we kind of just want to know that you like, are like believe, and you want to make a difference and you're fed up with not feeling like you can do anything. And so we have people come on the team who are like high schoolers and they are booking trucks or, you know, they're they're calling and talking making relationships with farmers that ends up leading to two million pounds of produce moved and it's like 
that is just such a dream and such a, such a departure from some, from, you know, growing up when I felt like I would have to, I would go volunteer. I wasn't making enough of an impact. We wanted to like really give agency to do that. And uh, yeah. And that was only really, that was only really, we were only really able to do that through the virtual setting, which is kind of crazy. Um, Otherwise we don't know 500 people. We we could have never gotten all those people in one, in one space doing this work. Yeah. That's crazy. I would think just like in the time such as COVID to be like taking action on something positive would have really shifted your COVID experience, like much more than someone who is stuck, you know, not taking action, consuming a lot of media. It can be like a very, you know, negative kind of downward spiral of just the, you know, inability to take action. I feel like your ability to take action is, is awesome. And that's an interesting insight on like volunteering and not really feeling like you made a difference. I think that's very, I don't know, similar to my experience at Primal Kitchen and people who joined us at the beginning are very like, and still today, right? Like very mission oriented and also really like enjoy the entrepreneurial environment where they feel like they have agency over what they're doing in their day and are able to actually like make a difference. I think that's just like two components for success. Um, so what's your biggest problem? Is it like not enough volunteers? Is it, there's too much food and not enough food banks? Are there too many food banks and not enough food? Like, I'm curious, what, what does the world need more of? Yeah, I was, it's so funny because there's like, I'm sure you guys feel, there's always things that are popping up, um, that, you know, instantly become the priority. But I think if there's like a recurring thing is that this area just needs more investment. Um, we need more, like not, not just farm link, but like just getting fresh, healthy produce to people. Um, in general, we need more infrastructure. We need more cold storage. We need more transportation. Like hopefully there's some government actions where you can get tax credits for companies who are supporting, um, initiatives like this to reduce their waste to zero. I think like more than anything, we said like the, the crisis of food insecurity in the United States, uh, is a crisis of indifference from everyone else. And I think more than anything, if people can actually take action here, um, this is a solvable problem. Interesting. And the, just the amazing thing to add on to that though, that we've learned is that, I don't know, just being, being a young person, like the, the, how the world worked behind the scenes always felt very like static to me or, or that, you know, if you wanted to, you know, change, make a change in a supply chain, it was, you know, you had to, it was like, where, where did you even start? I mean, how do you know, how do you work with this big company? The food just comes from them and that's the way they do it. Um, I've, I've learned, we've learned immensely. Like it really comes down to like getting the right person on the phone who, you know, and, and kind of telling them why, why we care and maybe how this can help not just them, but a bunch of other people too. And then just the decision of that, maybe one person who's sitting in the right seat can have like profound impact. And that's been something that's motivating because when you try to think of the fact that we, you know, we need more government policy, we need more policy change and cold storage and transportation and more money. It's like, that's overwhelming and you don't even know where to begin. So like, just begin where you can, and it can really all spawn from just one conversation with the right person. Yeah. And so for people listening who like want to get involved, what's the, what can they do to help you guys? Go to farmlinkproject.org. Um, whether you wanted to volunteer, whether you wanted to support your local community, whether you didn't have time, but you wanted to um, provide some money where I think $1 can now provide almost 20 meals to families in need. Um, 
all of those things are incredibly helpful. Um, and I think one other thing that we, we sort of just started um, is if people are interested um, is even just offsetting your carbon emissions. Um, so we launched a program where people can offset their carbon emissions um, from like kind of your, your daily life. So that helps the environment. And with every offset that that happens, we can get nearly a hundred meals to families in need as well. Um, so kind of a dual benefit there. Um, and just sm- really just like any small action, like whether this is just like, you know, going down to your local soup kitchen and seeing if they need any support, like everything counts. Um, and I think the the first step is just taking, taking action. Um, and over the long run, I think those little things really add up. Yeah. Very cool. Um, you guys seem like, I'm just curious from an entrepreneur standpoint, you seem like such young, smart, entrepreneurial guys. So what tools are you using? You've mentioned Slack now multiple times and we're on base camp at Primal Kitchen and I'm like ready to call my senior leadership team and be like, all right, so we got to get on Slack. Like it's time to get off base camp. So what are you guys using to manage this? What are the most important tools? We're sponsored by Slack and Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I, like that, that's the, you know, our office for the whole time has been this Slack channel with hundreds of people in it. And then we run all of our meetings through zoom. Uh, uh, but I don't know, we're learning. There's a million different things out there that we're, that we're starting to use like these project management tools, you know, I think I'll speak for James too. Like neither of our strong suits has, has been organization historically. Um, so one way was we've just brought in like people, like we've just been lucky enough to work with people who are incredible at organization communication. Um, but you know, whether you're talking like Asana or like Monday.com or, or, or Miro for like brainstorming ideas, uh, all centered through Zoom and Slack for communication. That's the way we've done everything. And um, I, I hope all those companies send us checks now that I mentioned them. <laughs> send them a recording and see what they can do. And Primal Kitchen sponsors you guys, don't we? Primal Kitchen has been one of our best supporters and it is amazing the reactions um, when this product is distributed. Like this is part of the thing we talk about of changing the narrative of what it means to be getting food from community-based organizations. So rather than getting that dented can of soup, when you're getting fresh product from Primal Kitchen alongside this fresh produce, that is a game changer. And it's not just about that, that food or that, that like sauce or whatever it is that provided. It's, it's about a narrative that's just changing, changing the concept of like what this means. We're like, you're not getting America's seconds you're getting some of the best nutritious product that's going to take care of you and your family. Um, when organizations like Primal Kitchen step up to do things like that, I, it has ripple effects far past just the, just the nutrition that's provided. Yeah. I think also just like, men- yeah, mentally to feel, it's got to feel like, you know, a dented can of soup makes you really feel like you're getting. Yeah. That's the exact language we would use. Um, and, and, you know, I know we talk in like poundage, uh, when we're talking about our progress, but that's really not reflective of how, how, how we think about if we're doing the right thing or not 40 million pounds, you know, that could be 40 million pounds of like potatoes. Like, is that going to really, is that going to really help people or like, like kale when, you know, a vast majority of the people we've given, we're giving the food to have never, uh, used kale in recipes before. So it might not be the most helpful when we can, when when we get these primal kitchen donations and we can send them to places in addition to some of these other foods and like raw materials that we have, like uh, you, you just make it a more complete experience and you're sending people home maybe with something that they can really 
really, really seriously enjoy, not just use for sustenance. Yeah. I love that. That makes me happy to hear. Um, okay. So can you tell everyone what the Congressional Medal of Honor is and how you guys got, you know, nominated for that? Yeah. So uh, it's the Congressional Medal of Honor Society's like service award. Um, and basically what this is, is that the military winners of the congressional or recipients of the Congressional Medal of Honor um, for like acts of valor on the battlefield, they every year they put on something um, where they do a nationwide search to um, look for for individuals who they feel like have embodied um, kind of the their spirit of what they did and to try to show that, you know, the military isn't the only way to serve. Um, and when they started conducting that nationwide search, somehow FarmLink um, came up and really then we just kind of followed this long, months long process of them reviewing these applicants and ultimately um, the, the living members of who hold the Congressional Medal of Honor make a decision. Um, and they, we were fortunate enough to, um, to receive that, that honor. Very cool. And when, when did you guys find out about that? March. Yeah, March. The first, yeah, we, we heard from them initially in, in August. So you like basically probably exactly a year ago. And we were like, oh, that's so cool that we're being considered, but then we pretty much forgot about it because it was like, it was like, that's not going to happen. Um, but then as we got closer and closer in the driveway, like we, we yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and as we got closer and closer, then, then we started like really coming down the list and then it became something that was like, Oh, this might be real. This could be really exciting. And this could validate us, um, you know, in the eyes of some people who feel like, you know, we're just a team of students that, you, you know, we're not professional or whatever. And it could also be something that motivates the whole team, which I think it did. Cool. Very cool. Who's inspiring you guys these days? Like what people in the world, what books, what podcasts? Oh my goodness. What TikTokers <laughs> on your age is doing TikTok. Am I right? <laughs> there's, there's so much um, like, and I think it depends on, on the, the, the category. Um, we, we've been, there's this book called multipliers. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it there. Hey, look at that. Um, I like have like cop- a copy everywhere because you know, James has been telling me to read it basically every other day and, and I'm, I'm working my way through it. Right. But um, read it. What's multipliers and, about? So multipliers is, um, it's about this idea that kind of, um, what the best leaders do is they, they use their intelligence to try to amplify the intelligence of others. And, you know, there's, there's some leaders who are so energizing and they really like bring out the best in everyone around them. And then there's those other leaders who are really, really brilliant, um, but they seem to drain the intelligence around them. And they always find themselves being the smartest person in the room. Um, and that's not an accident. And we've been kind of using this multiplier idea as kind of a creed for our organization and all of these students who are now kind of first time, you know, they're leading teams of 10 people that they've never led before. Um and kind of using that of like your job as a leader is to amplify um, your teammate and help and help them succeed. Um, and that's been, I think, one of the most helpful things and honestly something that's allowed us to grow really, really quickly um, in areas where, you know, Aiden and I didn't know the first thing about logistics, but we're able to bring on people um, who can. Get out of your own way. Yeah. Yeah. We're really trying to have an antidote to arrogance here because it like, or, or, come in and, and, and get comfortable with what we're doing and think that, Oh, wow, we're, we're saving the world. And, you know, we're doing, and, and then get all high and mighty on it because we have to stay humble and realize that there, 
are a lot of people who've been doing this for no attention for decades of their life um, and have been doing it really, really well and know a lot more than we do. And the second that we come in and start thinking, you know, like our shit doesn't stink and that we're, you know, the smartest people in the room, we're just totally screwed and we're not going to help anybody. So yeah, that's a big, big part of our culture. I love it. Does it talk about imposter syndrome in this book? Because I have like a, a serious imposter syndrome complex. So I'm going to have to read this book if, if <laughs> is, is a topic. I, I, I would love a book on that as well. I think we, we all feel that. So <laughs> maybe after we can, we can exchange notes. <laughs> all right. Well, you find one, you send it to me. Okay. I'll do the thing. <laughs> um, so what's the thing about you guys that like people would be surprised to know just personally? <laughs> No pressure, but I've gotten people tell me like, oh, I was in a helicopter accident and the helicopter exploded. So I was like, what? I mean, some crazy stuff have come from the question. So I want, I want to hear it. I, I, okay, this is not even an interesting, this is, <laughs> I think, I think the assumption is that James and I'd be like super on top of it, like, like, oh, like over life achievers when that the fact is him and I lose everything that is given to us that a value like on the way to South Carolina for the Medal of Honor thing I lost my wallet the day before I left it somewhere and James lost his suit left his suit on the plane and it's like (laughs) so you guys are just a hot mess is what you're doing yeah okay I I can relate I think that like you know a lot of things you talk about is very is very like um entrepreneurial right like you know, we're not the best at like being organized, but like, you know, being able to get out of your own way and rally people's, this is a different skill set, right? So I, I hear you. And there's, I can't keep track of anything. I mean, thank God for my husband because <laughs> where's my phone? Where are kids? What's going on? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I used to look at that trait um, as like a disadvantage. Um and to many extents in like normal life, I think it is, but I think for entrepreneurship specifically, you need to be so laser focused on what is the most important thing right now for what we're doing, um, that it actually sort of helps that you can't remember the little things because then you don't get distracted and you can just focus on accomplishing that kind of like key, key piece. Um, at least this is what I'm telling myself and, uh, my girlfriend <laughs> so that, uh, she doesn't break up with me. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> You'll have to let me know how that one works out. But I, I think that sounds like an easy hurdle to get over. All right. Come on, James. I need something interesting that people don't know about you would be surprised about. Interesting. Um, in touched on the, yeah, unbelievably forgetful. Aiden's got to have some story from middle school or something. Um, here. Oh, I'm trying to... I, I think one thing that's... Yeah, just like very, very random, but is is sort of like tied to this is like the Aiden and I did this um, documentary work in Nicaragua um, about three years ago, um, kind of covering students who were our age um, and who, you know, in the face of an overwhelming government response of repression where they were actually, you know, kidnapping students and having them disappear um, and students were fighting back and taking control of their universities and erecting barricades um, that that like seeing those students and seeing that they kind of took action um into their own hands and trying to determine their own fate um and kind of the future of their their country was one a, a very you know kind of crazy thing to experience like as a 
I know just graduated out of high school, um, hadn't gone to university yet. Um, and so we're kind of there with those, those students. But I think that that ties to like our belief that students are capable of a lot more than they realize and a lot more than society realizes. Um, and then it's just about kind of taking action. Helped us be scrappy too. We could like, we, we, uh, what I, I, I did, um, I did like, I did like yard, yard work to, to, to make money. And James, James did like all sorts of random things like, you know, filming videos for real estate agents, stuff like that to raise money. So we could buy bulletproof vests and buy like camera equipment that we needed to get down there. Cause we wanted to tell the story. We printed out fake press passes, which is the only way we got into the country. I think I'm incriminating myself right now. Maybe, maybe don't publish that part of the yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Hoping we can return. Oh, to yeah. Nicaragua. We got him like laminated at Kinko's and that, and, and, um, <laughs> and we told our parents we were going on a surf trip and then we went for two months. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they found out while we were there that we, it was absolutely not a surf trip. But we came back after, yeah, meeting kids our age who were like literally, um, very literally ri- risking their, their lives for something that they believed in. And when we came back to, you know, sunny Santa Monica, it, it, it was the, our, an extremely impactful experience for both of us to just think about our lives a little bit differently. And, you know, in terms of what we came away from that actual situation, and and what's still happening in that country is something that's really really personal to us. And um, you know, it, it it was it wasn't just this like this like sojourn for for, pers- for for our growth to just leave and come back safely home. I think we we have our own personal thoughts on what that what that meant for us. But I think it was the big one of the biggest things that either of us have ever done in our lives. Yeah, I'd say. So you told your parents you were going on a surf trip, and you guys went and filmed this documentary. And they didn't know. They knew once we were there and they were so mad, but that was kind of the idea was, you know, uh, we want to do this. I think this is an important story to tell like this aligns with our values. And it's, it's what I, it's, it's, we've been making movies together since we were younger. And like, now we really want to be able to do something good with that, like skill and passion for it. And kind of, you know, we love you guys and we know you support us and please don't kick us out of your houses, but uh, we're going to go do it like no matter what. And that was kind of the same thing with FarmLink too was, you know, you don't always, you don't always get, you know, a lot of times when you start something that sounds a little bit out there, you, you usually just get concerned from the people around you, whether that be your parents or like your girlfriend or your spouse or whatever. It's usually like, are you sure you want to do that? And I think a huge part of it is just like the, the stubbornness to say, I, I'm quite sure I at least want to try. Yeah. Yeah, I read Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights. Did you guys either of you read that book? Yeah, I loved There's a scene in there. He had like, you should read it. He had like a crazy upbringing, but where he decides he wants to be an actor and he tells his like tough Texas dad and his dad was like very quiet. He was expecting like, you know, the typical response, right? Like, that's a horrible idea. What are you like crazy? No, like we're from Texas, like go get some regular job or something. We don't, this is not like a Hollywood family. And his dad was like, thought about it. And then he's like, are you sure that's what you want to do? And he was like, yep. And he's like, well, don't half-ass it then. And I just like love that because to be a parent and be able to look at your kid and say like, well then, you know, go all in, I think is like, is really cool. Right. Because our parents' number one priority in life is just that we're safe. So they're never going to be the ones who are going to encourage us introducing a lot of risk ever. Right. Like they're just not going to do that. So yeah, I loved that. That's cool. 
And your parents, I assume you guys have like very supportive families now for FarmLink or are the families all involved? They're the best. They're, they're been helping brothers, sisters, parents, cousins. Um, everyone has, has really, you know, played an amazing role in this. We feel really fortunate to have their support. Yeah. And do you guys have like activist parents or like, you know, are your parents into philanthropy or like you sound, you both seem very like mission driven, just the lifestyles you've led and the surf trip and everything. Like, how did you guys, what do you think was like unique about your upbringing to get you guys where you are? Interesting. I don't know if Aiden and I necessarily, whether or not we have the the same thing. I think like more than like philanthropy things, it's just more about like a service and like what can you do for others and whether that just means like the people directly around you um, and trying to help improve their lives or people who are just like finding different ways to serve um, has sort of been like a constant um, from our family or kind of just like the different organizations, communities um, that we've been a part of. And so I'd say like, if that's like a guiding principle um, and like, it's not thinking about like, what can the world do for me, but like, what can I do for the world? Um, it like generally kind of helps with some of that stuff. And what did that look like growing up for you? Growing up? Um, I mean, it's, it's like, so it's, it's, do you ever think about this? Like, I feel like life sort of just happens and then we retrospectively assign all these narratives and we tell this, you know, yeah. story about how this led to this and that. And, and I don't know if that's really how it happened, but like, like I think vibe. the storytellers that we are, we're always like so aware of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, everything from like the school that we, you know, went to was, was big on service. Um, the kind of projects that we would work on, we like created a community service app that would let students, you know, volunteer because we were so frustrated with our volunteer experience. Um, and we wanted people to do things they actually cared about. Um, and so trying to make that easy for students, like just, I think a lot of like little things sort of led up to this. So like in this moment, when there's this crisis, it's like, of course, we're going to do something. Um, yeah. What about you, Aiden? Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to say that James didn't say, but like, yeah, I know both of our parents are, are, are involved in, in like cause focused. I mean, like whether, whether it's in the nature conservancy here in California or, you know, my mom does documentary work, like. And, and James, I know your parents have been long time involved with similar things. The, the the school that we met at, like its motto was serve, lead, flourish. And, and you know, what whatever. Kind of, by the way, what school is this? It was just a small middle school in the um, kind of between Santa Monica and Palisades um, and or in, Mal- in between Santa Monica and Malibu. Um, but yeah, we had our community service requirements and everything. And that stuff, when you're a little kid, you're like such a drag. It feels like for you to go and volunteer you can't really connect with why you're doing it or anything um but as you get older then you just kind of realize that you're in an environment that we both grew up in an environment that um very very warmly received the idea of giving your time your effort your money your your brain power to helping other people it it was that there is very 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 rarely been a, a time in my life where i felt like i had to be uh, pressured to get on a certain track that was going to benefit me financially or whatever. And, and, you know, there's always been that, that, you know, need that you need to survive and everything, but if you're going to go and do yourself, do something and commit yourself to, you know, a project that will help other people, like we are going to love you and accept you and support you in that. And that's, that's really important because, uh, otherwise maybe I would have been too afraid 
I'm not sure. It would have been too nervous of like rejection if I was younger to start getting into some of these things. Um, And that was never, that never felt like it was going to be the case. And it's true. Like as soon as we started publicizing what we were doing, it was the community first that came out and said, you know, we want to support you. And I think that's pretty important. Yeah, I agree. I have two little guys, so I'm like always curious, like, all right, what did the parents do right here? Because we got (laughs) very ambitious, very smart, motivated young men who are like out to change the world. So it's super cool. Um, Thank you guys so much. This was like awesome. It's great to get to know you more. I'm endlessly impressed with the work you're doing and glad Primal Kitchen can help support. Um, And yeah, I just want to remind everyone that you can check um, the mission out at FarmLink by going to farmlinkproject.org. You guys have what a big presence on Instagram, FarmLink Project at FarmLink Project. So we'll check you out there. And Thank you guys so much for coming. It was great to meet you. Thank you so much, Morgan. Appreciate having it, having having us, and also it was great to meet you. Yeah. Thank you, Morgan. Thanks, guys. <laughs>